Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm solid to the crack. Never change me and my son of rain. It gets wild when we hang. I'm solid. Could touch the blue part of the Welcome to Sportfire, the sports comedy podcast that is currently second in American League All-Star voting for second base. Please stop voting for this podcast. I'm your host, Adam Weinrib. Sorry we took a week off there. I was getting an Ellie De La Cruz tattoo removed and placed on a different part of my body. Sort of just a copy-paste situation to make it more prominent. Coming up, director Sam Pollard of the forthcoming Negro Leagues documentary, The League, a conversation I would have enjoyed adding three more hours to. But first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. The NBA draft took place last week, and in a stunning upset, the Spurs took French sensation Gerard Depardieu. Impressive size, but very little length. Mostly width. FanDuel employee Shams Charania tweeted about Scoot Henderson, quote, gaining momentum to the Hornets at pick number two, only for Adrian Wojnarowski to tweet that it had been Brandon Miller all along after the selection was made. But Shams didn't do anything unethical to affect betting markets, according to former Senator Kelly Loeffler. I've heard of insider trading, but NBA insider trading? Now I've also heard of that. The Boston Celtics traded Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies in a three-team deal that netted them Kristaps Porzingis for 43 games. Porzingis should perfectly fit Boston's tradition of white fragility. Meanwhile, losing Smart means the Celtics have lost a bit of their culture. Now, when they reach the Eastern Conference Finals, they might have no idea how to lose it. After a long talk Monday, the Blazers say they are committed to building a contender around Damian Lillard, a bold shift in team strategy. Of course, if Portland doesn't re-sign Jeremy Grant as well, Chris Haynes will tweet that Lillard is considering proposing another discussion regarding the parameters of the methodology of describing a trade request. In pictures. The Timberwolves have signed Naz Reed to a three-year extension, and in more good news for Minnesota, if they ever have to trade Reed, they accidentally set the going rate for a center at 12 first-rounders. The Cubs and Cardinals played a two-game set in London this past weekend. In an effort to grow the game, the Cardinals held a clinic with British youths. And it worked! The Cardinals actually learned a thing or two. Astros reliever Ryan Stanek went, quote, ballistic, according to manager Dusty Baker, after allowing the go-ahead run at Dodger Stadium on a balk. It was shocking, because this is the first time the Astros have ever run afoul of the MLB rulebook. So weird for Stanek and his teammates not to color inside the lines there. They're going to need to clean things up, though, if they want to repeat as piece of metal champions. After the inning, Stanek could be heard smashing things in the clubhouse. Even worse, the banging caused his teammate to throw 28 straight fastballs. The Angels beat the Rockies 25-1 on Saturday night. That's 25-1 on Saturday night. A welcome change of pace from the team's typical behavior of losing 26-25 on a walk-off pitch clock violation. 
After the game, Shohei Otani even assured team management that he would consider taking a hometown discount of $799.95 million. Somehow the Rockies still won this series, taking two out of three games. It's the most embarrassing series win since the practice over the Sopranos of the 99 Emmys. Standout Tennessee Volunteers relief pitcher Chase Burns has entered the transfer portal following the College World Series. Said the rest of the SEC, excellent. LSU won the title on Monday night over Florida just one day after the Gators staved off elimination with a 24-4 win. Luckily, blacking out and completely forgetting an embarrassing night is an LSU student tradition. LSU's Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz are now expected to go 1-2 and two in next month's MLB draft. And at third overall, it's French sensation Gerard Depardieu? And now on that note, my interview with the legendary Sam Pollard. Sam Pollard, legendary director and most recently the director of the film The League, a comprehensive tale of Negro League baseball told by experts and archival footage of some of the league's legends, which hits theaters July 14th. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, so for those who don't know, how was the culture and gameplay in the Negro Leagues different from Major League Baseball at the time? So in the film, you have Bob Kendrick talking about you know the Sunday doubleheaders after church services. It really seems like true formal events. Well, here's the thing to remember. I mean, there was a whole different kind of rhythm and style to Negro League Baseball, you know, hit and run, bunt, you know, stealing bases. It was a more exciting, engaging game. And by the 20s, you know, Major League Baseball was, you know, thinking about hitting home runs. Babe Ruth is the main person. If you thought about baseball, it was get on bat, get on, get, get up to the, up to the mound. I mean, up to the batting box and hit a home run and go around the blocks, you know. So it was a it was a much more fun and exciting game, and you can see that when when Negro League ball players came into the major leagues. Watch some of that footage of early Jackie Robinson, you know, trying to jump off bases, dancing around before he tries to steal a third base or steal home, you know. And then you lead to people like Maury Wills and Ricky Henderson. It was a much more exciting type of game, which you know, which you know, really for me as a young person in the 60s, made baseball very exciting for me, watching Kurt Flood or Lou Brock, you know, it was a, it was a game that I love to watch. And you posit in the film, uh, and I think this, it comes to an amazing conclusion, you speak about, you know, sort of what was lost to you as well, the, the consequences you mentioned in the film of Negro League Baseball going by the wayside. Uh, what exactly were those consequences? Well, here's the thing. This is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, Americans after World War II, Black Americans were asking about being more, not treated as second-class citizens, but wanting to be first-class citizens, which meant what? Which meant being part of the world of, you know, being able to walk into a restaurant, sit, not have to sit in the back of a bus, you know, not to have to sit in the, in the, in the, in the, in the rafters in the movie theater. You know, they wanted to be part of, be integrated in America. What did that mean? That meant that with the advent of the height of the civil rights struggle in the 50s and the 60s, African-Americans, professionals could leave their communities and go into white communities and become part and part and parcel of this integrated world. But what did it do to those black communities that had been very self-sufficient when they had all kinds of people living in those communities, doctors and lawyers and handymen and working class people? 
the communities changed, you know, the world changed. And it happened in the Negro Leagues when they lost Jackie Robinson, then lost Larry Doby, then lost Monty Irvin. You know, there was a rush to take all those great players from the Negro Leagues and put them into the Major Leagues, which basically destroyed the Negro Leagues. So by 1960, there was no Negro Leagues. Now, when I was growing up, the only thing I knew was Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball, and that was a wonderful thing. Sure, it was wonderful, but no one ever told me the impact of that that had on the Negro League teams. So this film tries to show you that for every, you know, every for every consequence, there's an upside and a downside, and that's and that's what life is about. So I, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's not to say we want to do an do away with integration, but what was the impact that it had on, on these self-imposed communities? In your opinion, you know, you mentioned, you know, Jackie dancing off the bases, bringing that flair, Kurt Flood, Bob Gibson, et cetera, and the next generation. Obviously, MLB had a lot to learn post-integration from the way Negro League Baseball was played. In your opinion, did Major League Baseball ever fully accept that? Or, or did we just lose some of that vibrancy to history when, the, you know, integration did occur? I think Major League, Major League Baseball completely embraced it. I mean, I watched the game from the 60s up into the 80s. And you think about the players I mentioned, like Roy Wills or Ozzie Smith or or Reggie Jackson or Ricky Henderson. I mean, those guys brought panache to the game, man. Willie Mays, his basket catches. They brought panache to the game. They brought excitement to the game, man. It was great to see those guys play. You know, they brought energy. They brought moxie. They brought a certain style. And you see it, listen. Adam, every time African-Americans have entered into a sport, they've changed the way the sport is played. Look at basketball. Look at football. (laughs) You know, there was one way you played basketball, and it was Bob Cousy and mostly white players. There was a different way you played basketball, and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor, when those guys came, they brought in what Nelson George would call the Black Athletic Aesthetic. That happened not only in basketball, that happened in baseball, that happened in football. They brought a different look approach to the games. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I also so appreciated, you know, in addition to, you know, that discussion of how Major League Baseball absorbed and embraced those ideals, just the fact that you were able to get so much archival footage, interview footage specifically, with people like Satchel Page, people who we, you know, Satchel Page, Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, these are basically myths by and large, but you have, you know, Satchel Page speaking to us. You have Rube Foster's assistant, you know, the, the viewers able to interact with these people. Um, I'd love to know sort of how uh, special that was for you to help those players come alive and be able to clarify their story with so much real footage. Well, here's the thing. It's always great to... Is to, to delve into the myths of all these players and then to get the true story of all these players. You saw how Satchel recognized this gentleman who taught him how to play, you know? So I love this idea that we have the myth on one hand and then we bring you the reality. 
you know, and it shows you that as much as these Negro League players loved the game and loved playing baseball, it was a hard life. It wasn't an easy life. When Hank Aaron tells a story of getting a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, it shows you it wasn't a hard life. It wasn't making much money, you know. But, you know, this is, this is part of the, my job as a documentarian to give you a sense of the history, but also give you the reality of this history and the complexity of the history. Because I'm not trying to make it one way, you know, and it's like what I was trying to say, life is not black and white, it's shades of gray. So hopefully that's what comes to when you watch this film. We're also, as viewers, we have to accept sort of the tough part of Satchel Paige's story at the end where we do see him in the major leagues. And we see him in, you know, 1948 with Cleveland, but he's not quite the player that Dizzy Dean raved about earlier in the film, right? The stats, you know, the strikeouts aren't quite there. Um, So I appreciate you adding that as well. He's an older man. I mean, you know, but he was a legend. So they gave the legend his due, you know? Yeah. I, I just vastly appreciate it. You know, players like Josh Gibson maybe don't get that major league chance, but then you show us that Satchel Page did. Unfortunately, it's he's too far past his prime. That's true. That's what that's what life was, man. <laughs> that's why Monty Irvin, you know, there's always a story that Monty Irvin might have been the first player, not Jackie Robinson. But Monty Irvin went off and fought the war. And he was older when he started, when he got into the major leagues, you know, and he didn't play as long as Jackie did. You know, so, you know, there's so many ways that that this story can be parsed. How did you feel you also included a section on Babe Ruth and sort of his merits playing in what is very obviously a diluted Major League Baseball? How do you feel about Babe Ruth's legacy ultimately after crafting this film? I would say this to you, and, and I thought Larry Lester said it well. Babe Ruth, his home run totals were only against white pitchers. You know, Hank Aaron played against all kinds of pitchers. You know, maybe not those from Asia, you know, but he played against all kinds of pitchers. Now, for me, when you ask me who the greatest home run hitter of all time is, Hank Aaron is. You know, I grew up thinking that Babe Ruth was, but now Hank Aaron is the greatest of all time, you know. Barry Bonds with the asterisks is a pretty great hitter too, you know. So, you know, I look at it all like things change because the understanding of who played this game and who were writing the stats, you know, have informed the game. History is written by those who are in charge of it. So now you live in a time where this history has been changed because it's not just white men writing this history anymore. Which under-discussed Negro League storyline or which player's career stood out to you most while working on this film and telling the story? Who's, whose story were you sort of proudest to give a voice to? Oh, I think, I think it was probably, you know, I liked when Buck Leonard came on camera and talked. I thought he was great. You know, I also thought Max Manning was pretty interesting too. You know, and I loved... I love when Larry Doby and Monty Irvin talked about the reaction and the acceptance they got when they played in Cuba or in Mexico or in Puerto Rico, you know, that they were much more embraced, you know, than they had been if they were playing in America, even though they were playing in Negro Leagues, you know. So those, it was nice to hear those stories from those guys that you don't really, you don't normally hear those stories. 
Yeah, Larry Doby getting a case of rum every yeah. time he homered really stood out yeah, to what me. Did he say was it something cute, rum? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess that's another thing, an element that's kind of lost to history. Um, right. Now, we uh, it seems like Major League Baseball is going to play a regular season game in Birmingham next year at Rickwood Field. And yeah. I know they just renovated Hinchliffe Stadium over here in, in Patterson as well. Um, how do you feel about that legacy sort of being restored, hopefully for a national audience? And, and how do you sort of anticipate they'll celebrate the Negro League's heritage for these games? I think it's great. To go down to Birmingham and play in the Brickwood Stadium where the Birmingham Black Barons played, Willie Mays started his career. I think that's great. I think that shows that the Major League Baseball understands the importance of recognizing, you know, the legacy of Negro League ball clubs and Negro League players. I think it's fantastic. Now, maybe there'd probably be some renovation in those seats that I shot down there. You know, the stands need some work, but it'll be great. You know. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now I'm a, I'm also a hall of fame sort of devotee, um, and the baseball hall opened its doors to a lot of Negro league figures in 2006, but at the time, for whatever reason, still did not induct Buck O'Neill. And now he is in the hall, but back then he was not in, in that initial large wave. Um, do you remember your reaction at the time as well as sort of how your feelings maybe have changed over the years? You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think, I don't remember having much of a reaction. I wasn't as, as locked in on baseball in 2006 as I had been in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. By the 90s, I wasn't, except for taking my son, I guess he was 15. I took my son to see the St. Louis Cardinals in the late 80s. I wasn't into baseball as much by the 90s. And even though I knew Buck O'Neill had become a regular star because of Ken Burns' baseball, I, I don't think I even realized that he hadn't been in that whole group of players that went in 2006. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, I, I always pay attention to that class. Um, and watching the film, it also evoked other memories because Cumberland Posey was was part of that class. And he's obviously a major That's character right. in the yeah. film, but, but Gus Greenlee isn't. And you really focus on how Gus Greenlee was able to, you know, reignite that Pittsburgh rivalry, especially. Um mm. Does that feel warranted to you? Do you think both men should be honored or, or did they, you know, make the, the right decision oh, there? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think they both should be honored, but I, you know, again, I wasn't as focused on baseball in 2006 as I am today because I'm going back to baseball games I hadn't gone to in many years. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't have an answer that I think would be appropriate. <laughs> Of course, uh, no worries at all. Um, I yeah, I was wondering also about your Cardinals fandom, uh, and and you're mentioning that you're sort of getting more involved again nowadays. Have you gotten more in tune with you know with the game and with modern MLB? Um, you know, in the in the years before working on this film and since working on this film. Well, my fandom started in '64 because of my dad. He loved the yeah. St. Louis Cardinals, so I became a big St. Louis Cardinals fan up through George Foster, Keith Hernandez. Ozzie Smith, that period. And I guess that's the mid-80s. Then I sort of stopped focusing on baseball. But then recently, about a year ago, I moved to Baltimore. And I only live four blocks from Camden Yards. So I've gone to the Baltimore games last year. And I'm going to go to some this season to see the, what's happening with the, with the pitch clock and the other things that they've added to the game. So, But, you know, I, I always enjoy going to baseball games. 
I love the tempo, the up and down thing of a baseball game. This where sometimes nothing happens for two or three innings and bang, something happens for another inning, you know, and somebody hits some runs or, you know, so I always love the tempo of a baseball game, even though it was slow to some people. So, you know, now since I've been working on this film, I'm sort of more engaged in baseball than I had been for quite a long time. Amazing. Well, it's good to hear. I think you're really going to enjoy uh, the the innovations of the pitch clock, what it's bringing to the game. But uh, also, I think you're just going to enjoy that Orioles team. They, they play a specific brand of baseball. Oh, yeah, super exciting. Yeah. Uh, well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, again, the film hits theaters on July 14th. And I truly appreciate this conversation. The film is amazing. Thank you very much, Adam. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Sam Pollard, everybody. Gus Greenlee for the Hall, Josh Gibson for GOAT. I'm telling you. And now for the silliest possible thing, my final flame. Victor Wembanyama found the perfect NBA landing spot in San Antonio. After all, the Spurs have a long legacy of generational wine freaks. And as a massive Frenchman with a likely incredible tolerance, it's safe to assume Wembenyama's a generational grape stopper. One glass of Chardonnay looks like a thimble full of sewer water in his mighty hands, and probably settles like a tear in his gargantuan stomach. More wine, please! Greg Popovich is surely thrilled with his new pupil's moves with a spit bucket. Beyond his love of Pinot Noir, though, there's another thing that binds him to the city by the man-made water, of course. The Spurs lineage of European talent goes all the way back to 2018, when the team acquired Jakob Pertl from the Raptors. Webanyama would do well to link up with Pertl when he arrives in Texas to soak up as much knowledge as possible from the franchise's first Euro great. Knowledge like, hey, where the hell's a French guy supposed to get a baguette in this town? Remember the Alamo? <laughs> I'm having a hard enough time remembering where to get a baguette in this town. But there's still one more pretty important footstep for Wembanyama to follow in. Though the generational big man has been a bit de-emphasized since the 90s and even the 2000s, there's still one fairly obvious great tutor Wemby can take advantage of to learn the finer points of the position. Shaq, whenever NBA on TNT is in town. In all, the NBA has to be thrilled. Their most important prospect in decades lands in the land of wine snobs, Pearl, and Shaq on occasion. If only there were a team in France so the league could have rigged the lottery for him to go home like LeBron. My thanks to Sam Pollard. See you in two weeks. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.